Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. From the corner, Barry. Rick Barry has not missed a free throw against Washington. Now it is Barry. Back to Clifford Ray. Goes to Rick Barry. Golden State getting that ball moving. Intended for Barry. Barry, look at that pass. Rick Barry, look at that shot, would you? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Barry wants to make a move. There's a Barry. He's got his shot. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Rick Barry Show with my cohort in crime, Cyrus Satchis, the search man himself. It's been a while since uh, we've been back talking about what's going on with the Warriors and the NBA in general, and a lot has happened, to say the least. But before we get into talking about all of that, I'm delighted to have one of my teammates from the 1975 Golden State Warrior Championship team, part of the two-headed monster we had at center. We had the physical rough tough and tumble Clifford Ray Johan himself but we also had the smooth and effortless <laughs> shot blocking fool George Johnson who is joining us right now Noopy is his nickname thanks for joining us appreciate it thank you for having me on it's a pleasure to be talking with you guys today yeah well, well I, I gotta jump hold on Brick I gotta jump in your room Noopy I, I never heard where, where did that nickname come from <laughs> it's funny uh, I get that all the time uh, when I joined the team in 72, Cassie was a member of the team, Cassie Russell, and he and I are Kappas, and that's what we would call our frat brothers, uh, Noopies, Pie New Pie, so that's, he started calling me that, and pretty soon everybody on the team was calling me Noopie, so it stuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not exactly the most common thing in the world that somebody would do, so it's a good question, Cyrus, actually. Thanks, sir. <laughs> yeah, really. good, good question. Finally here, the top teams in college basketball have been determined and the final four is set. Looking to wager on those games of the national championship? Head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started, Bet Online remains your number one spot for all updated odds and information, along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying betonline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. Bet Online where the game starts so uh just to, so people know um i just saw george recently he's living in atlanta and we just did something in atlanta with charles dudley the hopper who has put together um, a program that we're doing a documentary on the 74 75 championship warriors something that's long overdue should have been done decades and decades ago but excited about the opportunity for us to be able to have the story of the cardiac kids, the story of the 1974-75 Golden State Warriors, the greatest accomplishment and upset in the history of the NBA, and also in the four major sports. And I defy anybody to go out and find me something where some team was as big an underdog, was so disrespected at the start of the season that went on winning their conference, winning, winning their division, winning their conference, getting to the finals and then saying this is the biggest mismatch in the history of the NBA. This team's going to get swept, no business even being there. 
and then we sweep the team that's supposed to sweep us. It's never happened, folks. Everybody brings up the, the Jets, and you know, now the Jets were picked to be a heck of a team in the AFL. That was no big thing. It was an upset, yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't like what we did. Uh, you can miracle Mets. No, I mean there isn't anything out there that compares to what we did, and to have nothing done. I am so happy because I was getting so close to doing this, George. I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but, and then Hopper, all of a sudden I found that he was doing something. I had some really heavyweight people who said, yeah, this should be done, but you know, Hopper be doing his thing. And I said, well, okay, fine. Let's just get it done. I just want to make sure that this is a story. This was, I wasn't doing it for a story about me. I was doing a story because you and Clifford and Charles, and, you know, Charles Dudley himself and Charles Johnson and, and Jamal and Derek Dickey and Phil Smith and Steve Bracey, yep. all of the guys, Jeff Mullins, you guys never got your recognition for what you accomplished because it never would have happened without what you guys did. So I, I, I don't know, what is your memory? Because I want people to understand the biggest game for us was game seven, Western Conference Finals. And in that game, just so everybody, I'm going to set the stage for this. In that game, I know my guest is on. He hasn't spoken much, but forgive me. Um, I'm stinking up the joint. I mean, I am playing so bad. It's pathetic that Al Adels actually takes me out of the game midway through the second, the second, third quarter. And who's on the bench cheering, trying to do stuff to get going. But our starting center was Clifford Ray. George is in the game. I'm sitting on the bench and not playing. Derek Dickey is playing. And, we were down 10 points when he took me out. I think I was something like two for 14 or some ridiculous thing. I was horrible. Anyway, so we're watching the game and, and the biggest cheerleaders, George is blocking everything. George, your memories of that game. I mean, you came in for Clifford. We're trailing by double digits. And I think yeah. you guys called Chicago scoreless for like seven minutes. And I, I don't know how many shots you blocked, but it had to be four, five, six shots during down the stretch. But you were the guy responsible for taking care of our basket and protecting it. So your memories of that particular game and what you did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really an interesting game, Rick, because our prior MO had been Clifford would start in the third quarter and I would come in, you know, either mid third quarter or top of the fourth quarter, but Al made a change and he put me out there and I'm like, okay. So I was used to, uh, you know, playing, uh, whenever I got out there, you know, to play, but I was able to, uh, Block some shots there. I think I got uh, Bob Love shot first, and then then maybe it was uh, the other forward. I can't think of the name right now, but it, Walker. Yeah, Chet Walker. Oh my goodness, Chet the Jet. How could I forget? But anyway, <laughs> it was two or three blocks, and you know, once we blocked shots, Charles was on the uh, offense, headed down court for layups, and before long, we had to erase that ten point uh, deficit to probably two or three points at that point. But you know what? It was just such a a great game. I just I have trouble remembering it all, you know, bit by bit. And at some point, I'm going to sit down and, and watch it because I really haven't watched that game. And I don't even know if I have a copy of the Chicago Seventh game. But anyway, it was probably in my online. mind. Go online. Go online. You can find it even on YouTube. I think it's there. You can find it and see it. But I, I remember okay. it vividly because I. Remember, yeah. I was ready to go in at the end of the third quarter, and you know they and Al kept me on the bench into the fourth quarter. You know, yeah. it's into that game, but I do remember we made the run when I came back in. It was six points. We were down oh, yeah. six, and but I do remember that you know hell, I got nothing to lose here. So I mean, I I can even remember exactly where I took the shot from, right in front of our bench on the northeastern part of the northwestern part of the arena, and uh, I was about eighteen feet open, and I had already I said, well, I'm already back in those days. The goat was not the greatest of all time. Was the guy that screwed uh -huh. up, 
And, and so I remember taking the shot and doing it, but I do remember one of the plays that kind of broke their back. I came off and ran off of you and used you as a screen and went up for a jump shot and you rolled to the, and you rolled to the basket and uh, I hit you, which you guys knew that when I go up for a jump shot, always watch me because if their defense turns ahead, I'll throw it by his ear. And I remember getting a really nice pass to you and you made a great basket that kind of helped break their back. Uh, but I, I remember that. So when you get there, you'll, you'll, you'll see that play. That was one of the biggest plays that we had in that basketball game. So I remember that. Oh. But what I remember by playing with you, Rick, is that no matter what, no matter how the game looked, and this was probably after Al had started using us like a platoon, you know, we're all, all playing every night, that we were always in a game, no matter how much, you know, we were down. We were always, in my mind, in the game because we had you. We had, you know, you could come out, you could score 30 and a quarter if you so chose to do. But it was just great to have the rest of the guys like Charlie and and Jamal and of course Derek and Clifford and all of us, we just supported what what we knew that could work for us as a team. And that to me was the best team and the greatest team that I've ever played for. And that includes high school and college, you know, and also a couple of other NBA teams that I played for after I left Golden State. So that was a special team. We were special, but you know what I think, Rick, now that we were not like given the that the accolades, you know, during that time, there was a lot going on in 75. So we were not given the accolades, but I, I kind of thought like Charles and you were thinking, once I start seeing those 30 for 30s, I'm like, there should be something like that on, on us, you know, the team that, you know, people forgot. So I'm glad to say that we are at this point, at least getting something down and perhaps something can come of it, but it's just great to, to talk about those days and, and those that that team, especially, you know, it was just such a special team. So, well, I just am happy to be a part of it. Yeah, George Johnson joining me. He was uh, my teammate on the '74 '75 uh, Golden State Warriors championship team. He was part of again of the two-headed monster that we had between George and Clifford Ray. You know, we had you know, we had superstar points and rebounds and blocks, and we had twelve fouls to play with too. So uh, it worked out very well. We were able to match up against different people uh, depending upon the circumstances. So, George, when did you when did you think our team could do something? I know when it happened for me, but I'm just kind of curious. When did you think we had something better than what everybody was predicting at the start of the season? I think probably about midway. I just really was so wrapped up in Clifford and I playing the position that we were playing. We were, like you were talking about at the top, the two-headed center, uh, our, our stats could match just about any other center in the league. So I was mm. thrilled about that. But the fact that we were playing eight, nine, ten men deep every night, I just knew that there was something special about that. And if if Al didn't abandon that as we went on, and he didn't, thank God, <laughs> we were able to just run down teams. And also, too, I think uh, the fact that I, I was really nervous about going into the finals against Washington. And the reason being that obviously we played them early in the season and we didn't know how they would play against us and it had been a long time. But I think they were very surprised by the way that we had played and become a team by the time that we got to the finals that we took them by surprise. And of course, having to play in the Cow Palace and the different places that we ended up playing uh, probably helped us, you know. So that was that was great. But 
it took me probably three days after the final was over for it to really sink in, to be honest with you. I remember going into the locker room celebrating. I remember the plane ride back on the tarmac and all that. And, well, I guess, too, probably, and I should put this in, my daughter was born that, that year in February, so I was a new dad, and so it was just, it was a lot going on, but three or four days afterwards, it was just, amazing i can't believe that we just did that i had to go and and just uh just pitch myself it was just really almost surreal in a way but it's really hard to pinpoint rick back to the question uh when when i thought we could do it all uh because i was kind of not sure but as we got into it deeper and deeper the confidence was definitely building up for me so well, interesting. Yeah. And for me, it was a lot sooner than that. It was actually when we went to training camp in Hawaii and trained over there. Oh, yeah. I, I just, I just kind of knew that there was something special about the team that we had a group of guys that didn't really give a crap about what they were doing individually. It was just, we all were collectively on the same page of winning. And I always tell people that probably the greatest coaching move that Al Adels ever made was bringing Bud Presley from Mendel Atherton college into training camp for us to get us committed to playing defense and getting us up about how important it was to be a consistent defense wow. team and we did that and you know come on george we were we weren't a big team i mean jamal wilkes and me i mean two skinny little guys we were right. we got you you were a big tall skinny guy the only guy we had that was you know with muscles and stuff was clifford and Derek dickey i clifford, mean you're yeah. right and so, and we did, we were one of the best rebounding teams in the league, and we were one of the best defensive teams in the league because we made that commitment to defense. How important was that? I mean, you had to be happy about that because that gave you a chance I to was. be the best. You know what, Rick? Now that you mentioned that, I, I can I concur with that. I had kind of forgotten about the uh, the Hawaiian uh, trip that we took. That was probably the the the, the gelling point for us as a team. Because we realized that, hey, we're out here on this island. It's just us, you know. And so when we get back to the States, it's going to be just us in, you know, in the NBA, so to speak. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that was definitely a turning point. That was, I don't remember why we want to, I'm pretty sure it was a preseason game. We might have played the Lakers or someone over there. Yeah, yeah, we but, had some uh, games. We had a couple of, uh, you know, exhibition games and stuff. But it was, yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was a lot Gentlemen, of do you, are, are you two watching the Warriors now? I try to watch, but I'm uh, such a, um, I guess you could call it an early riser, so to speak. And you know, they come on late. So I, I, I usually miss the second half of the game because I fall asleep before it's on. But uh, I know that they're having some difficulties now, you know, with the, with the team that uh, some of the guys are injured and all that. But um, what, I don't know if the, they Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry, George. No, I was going to say, I don't know if they are a team like we were as far as, you know, looking out. It's just really hard to say because you're not there. You don't know how they interact with each other. But I I, I just know that they are they are a good group of, of players, and I, I hope that at some point they can kind of get it back together like they used to a couple of years yeah. ago. So. Yeah, and the reason why I bring it up is because I'm hearing you two, and I love this trip down memory lane, do it all day. I'm, I, this is just the joy to me. But one of the things you keep bringing up is that your team wasn't the biggest in the game, and that kind of reminds me of the Warriors now. I mean, Kevon Looney is their center. I, I don't know if he compares to Clifford Ray at all. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone that compares to you, George, but um, 
do you can, can a team like the Warriors, as small as they are, win a championship in you two's opinion? Hmm. I'll let you start, please. No, I don't. I don't. I, the way they're constructed right now, without Wiseman coming back, who I thought could have been a big, big plus for them. And I'm still trying to figure out because somebody's got to be keeping some kind of a mystery or secret here. How do you, as a guy with a cartilage injury, miss an entire season? I mean, I yeah, I just don't. I just don't understand. There's got to be more to it. I mean, my heavens, and I feel badly for him, but you know, he's hardly ever played, and he's got talent, and he could have been, you know, he could have been the X factor for them if he came back and had a chance to get back in playing well and play, you know, block some shots, give him some size play some defense uh, but with the way they're constructed right now Draymond has to get back to playing and getting 10 points or more uh, seven or more assists a game and play his tough defense you know and, and get his rebounds you know get to double digits and rebounds they need him to play at that level all the time they have to help that Steph comes back rejuvenated being getting some rest but hopefully be healthy enough to be able to play at an MVP level he has to play at that level and you have to hope that Clay Thompson is going to play more consistently and have some of the games because he's had some really, you know, a couple of really good games doing stuff, but he's has to be consistent doing that for them to have any chance to win. And then the other guys got to do their job. You know, Poole has to play at a high level and the rest of the team has to do that. But more importantly than anything else, they got to get back to freaking playing some good defense. I mean, my God, I mean, their defense was really good at the start of the season and, and but now all of a sudden, I mean, they're just porous and they're not, they're not committed there, but there's time, you know, you have yep. to be hopeful, but it doesn't bode well for me, you know, that they have what it's, what's necessary right at this juncture to say that they could go on and win the championship would be foolish to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. It. I don't think they have all the pieces that they need right now for the championship. I think it's going to be tough to, uh, to come out of the West. You know, I think it's, I'm looking at it from uh, just a fan's point of view. I think Phoenix is probably going to be the team that's going to be the team to beat uh, coming out of the West. So Who is that? Going to be Phoenix, the Sun. Yeah, Phoenix is playing well. They've got confidence. They played well from last year. They're uh, yep. they're controlling things. Yeah, that's a, that's a very very good uh, very good basketball team. But you know what? You can't count. You, you can't count Utah out. Utah is still a, a team that has to be considered there. And then, uh, and then crazy Denver. I mean, Jokic is playing out of his mind right now. So oh, yeah. a joker. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a heck of a battle. There's no question about that. And then the, this big surprise team is, you know, Memphis, what Memphis is doing and playing as well as they're playing without John Moran. Yeah. It's interesting. It's going to be really, really a, wa- a fun to watch. And have you ever, George, I I just look in this. I have never, ever, ever watching the NBA in the Eastern Conference had ever seen so many teams so close this late in the season battling to see who's going to come in first. You've got three teams tied with the exact same record. Another team, one game behind. Another one, a few behind. I mean, that's going to be a battle to the end. And I've never seen that before. So I, I would think that the fans have to be excited about what's going to take place over these next couple of weeks and into the first rounds in the playoffs and see who winds up matching up against who. So who do you like, George, out of the East? Uh, I got a buddy who swears by Miami. I'm not convinced yet, but they are. They're kind of the quiet team that plays well. I like Boston, but I'm not a big Boston fan either. So. I I kind of want to go with the champ, you know, last year's champ, Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I think we, we don't talk about them that much, but they really have it together, I think. So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Bucks again. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. What yeah. do you think, Rick? Yeah, I mean, well, the unknown, of course, is who knows. You know, Kyrie's going to get to play all the games, but he gets to come back and look at what they did. They won the losing. I think they lost a couple of games and nobody expected them to lose. Yep. This is what I'm telling people. Always expect the unexpected when it comes to the NBA. Anything can freaking happen. It's crazy. I mean, yep. who ever thought that the Lakers would have gotten embarrassed by the New Orleans Pelicans? I mean, seriously. <laughs> 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 I mean, Jane, yeah, Jane, Jane, right. Bush, Jeannie Bush, she got up and left at, at the, when they were down like 25 in the third quarter. So, is she really? Yes, she did. I just saw a video. I saw a video of her getting up and leaving. <laughs> what the, oh, I mean, that's like a soap <laughs> opera down there. I mean, but of course, oh. Oh, that's Hollywood. I think she went over. What's she went that? Paddle blind for a hurricane. I said she left the game early for a hurricane at Pat O'Brien. You know, she decided. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were getting crushed. I think it actually, I think the game was actually in L.A. Oh, it was. Yeah, I oh. it was in L.A. Yeah, that was oh, unbelievable. I mean, that, that's just some of the stuff that goes on, and some of the scores that you looked at, and I saw what was somebody's down by sixty points at one. I mean, what the heck? Agreed. That's, that's <laughs> the thing about. <laughs> So, a lot of points being scored. So, okay, so I've got a question. I have a, I have a question for George. So, George, tell everybody, why did you decide to be the only person that ever came to me and actually wanted to learn how to shoot underhanded free throws? Yes, <laughs> great question. Yeah, well, I think it was a couple of times after practice, I used to ask you, how do you shoot that? And, and uh, once you would leave the court, I would be out there trying to do it, see if I could improve, because I was probably about a 60 or better overhand. It, just, it wouldn't hurt to, to try, so you were gracious enough to spend a few a few uh, practices with me to show me the proper technique, and so I just kind of stuck with it, and I really kind of uh, got to the point where I was really comfortable with it in practice, but you came to me, Rick, and said, when are you going to do it in the game, and boy, that really put me on the spot, so I had to give it a lot of thought. I had to search my soul. Can I do this? Am I willing to go and try to duplicate what our star is doing? And if I can't make it, I'll be embarrassed. But anyway, something inside of me said, hey, go ahead and do it. So I'm glad I did because it really is a great shot. I wish that other guys could, uh, especially the ones that are having difficulty shooting overhand, to, really, to at least embrace the techniques of underhand, and then they would be better if they go back to the overhand, if they are uncomfortable shooting underhand. Anyway, thank you, Rick, for that. That was perfect. You know, I'm the uh, <laughs> player now that they say, oh, I remember you. You shot on the head like Rick Barry. So thank you for that. That that adds to my, my lore, I suppose. Well, nice. the thing is, is that you got to 80%, and so you actually got up to being where you said you actually at one time you were, you did become a good free throw shooter. Because if you're not shooting yeah, 80%, I was. You're, not a, you're not a good free throw shooter. But I always told people, I said, it was just there if I had more time because you just did it late. And your yep. technique wasn't totally refined where it needed to be, but you still got the 80%. Right. And so people yep. just don't understand yep. it's so much softer a shot. And if you do it more and more, you get a feel for it. Like even now at my advanced age, yep. for crazy, I can still go out and make 80% with my eyes closed. Wow. 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 That's yeah, amazing. that is a wow. 
Well, because it's wet. I go to I go to these little carnival places and they have those little basketball nets, and I can do pretty good underhand. I think it's better than shooting overhand trying to make those baskets. So. Oh, for sure. Hold on a sec. Wait, wait, George, you're talking about these these games that like it's nearly impossible to make it, and if you win, you win one of these big yeah. stuff bears or whatever. You're you're doing exactly. these underhanded, and that works. You can do them underhand. It works absolutely. Well, you first of all. Let that me tell you what happens with those. First of all, they cut the rims and make the basket, the rim smaller than it normally is. Yeah. Then they blow yeah. the balls up with a lot of air in it to make it hard. Exactly. So, and I used to do that. I remember <laughs> I, went, I, I used to, when they stopped letting me do it at the place, I used to go to New Jersey, down the Jersey Shore. I would win so many big stuffed animals. They would You're let kidding. Me, oh, they wouldn't you mean me. he got blackballed <laughs> from a carnival game? Yeah, they wouldn't let me play anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's incredible, it Jordan. Funny. George, why is it that you, George, in your opinion, why do you think so many people like don't do the underhanded? I mean, I hear it's like an image thing, but clearly it works. Didn't Wilt do it for like his rookie year and shot no, some? Wilt, no, Wilt did it the year he scored and averaged fifty points a game. Okay. He scored hundred yeah. points that season in one game. He was twenty-eight for thirty-two from the free throw line, and then hmm. stopped doing it. And he stopped doing people... it after that season, which made no sense whatsoever. Yep, yep. I don't know. I think uh, it's a little unorthodox, I guess, and guys being big like they are, I don't know if they consider it being less than, you know, masculine or whatever when you shoot on there because you kind of associate that sort of in the past with women shooting, you know, like from the side or, or like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, women don't shoot that way. Women don't even shoot that way now. So what the hell? Yeah, what, they who cares? <laughs> who the hell cares? <laughs> Who cares what you look like? Exactly, exactly, exactly. I'm with it's you, man. But you know what? Just like with the hook shot, nobody shoots the hook anymore. Uh, basketball has evolved to just a three-point shootout now. So, you know, that's why we have these high-scoring games. And this, uh, the mid-range game and the low-post game is almost non-existent. So, you know anyway. interesting – you know what's interesting, gentlemen, is that while that is true, the, the three-point game is completely dominant, completely dominates uh, nearly every game you watch. The most successful teams, the Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks, they're not doing that. They're sticking to fundamentals. You see mid-range shots yeah. with them. You're seeing yeah. them attack the rim. Uh, guys like Giannis, guys like uh, uh, this uh, the center for the Suns, and Booker. Who's a fantastic mid-range shooter? So yeah, I really think the Warriors mess things up doing that because so many people want to emulate them just hucking up threes, but that's not the most efficient shot, and it's not it's not always effective. I, it's crazy to me. Sorry to digress, but you live by the three, you're going to die by the three. If you live by defense, you're going to win by defense. You know, so that's that'd be my philosophy with these teams. But the guys that are shooting it, and you see big guys now out there shooting the three-pointer. I'm like, get down on the block, you know, get out of there and do some. I'm with you. Rebound. Yeah. I still, I still believe in, inside out is the way to go. And, uh, well, I mean, come on. The yeah. Warriors, they say they lost the championship against Cleveland in the last four minutes and 20 seconds of game seven. They did nothing but shoot three-point oh. shots. And never went to the oh. basket. It was oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's, I've seen some of the teams. I've seen teams put up shots, 60, 73 pointers in a game. That's amazing. It's insane. It is for the guys to get forty and fifty at night. Now you know if they're yeah. if they get, got the, the green light to shoot threes all night. If you get a hot hand, all right, they're going to keep feeding you. So 
But yeah. it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the way the game is going. You know, I think the guys are really doing great. Uh, there's a lot of talent. I think it's exciting to watch, and I have to concur with Rick earlier, that we really don't know who's going to come out winning this, but it's going to be exciting to watch, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's going to be an interesting I'm, going to, I'm looking forward to the playoffs this year to see what happens. It's going to be really fun. But, George, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hopefully we'll Thank see you, you again. Maybe when we get this documentary all ready Rick, to go, we can get Rick, the Rick, do you mind? Yes. Rick, can I ask George a couple questions while we have him? Just because I, I, I was born in, in 1978, so I am not familiar with your game, sir. But when I started doing research when Rick was like, we're bringing George Johnson on, I, I saw a lot of fascinating stats here. I mean, you, you accomplished – an incredible amount of achievements uh, sort of be redundant there. I guess for starters, you were the first player in NBA history to accomplish the five by five. You're one of only 12 players oh, yeah. to still do that. Um, and for people that don't know, that's go ahead. Sorry. No, explain that to people. So they know what the five by five is. And that is accomplishing five points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks in a game. And you were the first person to do so in the year I was born 1978. Uh, you also, I mean, you led the league in blocks three times, um, yeah. <laughs> but what was the reasoning? What's that that stuck out to me is you also were uh, kicked out of games a lot. What, what was the reason for that? Did you just not like dealing <laughs> with referees? No, it was, I was, uh, that happened mostly when I was with the, the net. Uh, you gotta, gotta picture this in your head now. I'm going to the net. They were coming in from the ABA as the first year in the NBA. I'm starting center, and I'm a shot blocker. I play defense. I can move from side to side, and I can block shots without fouling. However, <laughs> the rest were calling fouls on just about everything that they didn't think I could do without fouling, you know. So, mm-hmm. consequently, I would get in foul trouble. You know, Kevin would play me. Kevin Lockery was the coach there. He would play me until I fouled out. So, I <laughs> But, we, you know, we're That's in incredible. a lot of – but we just we we didn't get the respect from the refs. I just have to say it like that, you know. We just got a lot of stuff that was bogus calls that we felt were were wrong calls just because we were the you know the new team or the new kids on the block from the ABA that joined in the NBA. So that was a the tough three years there. Now that I think about it, but those also <laughs> were the years that, like you mentioned, that I was able to lead the league in shot blocks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. I was, uh, I was, I was happy there. You know, it was just an opportunity for me to start and play. You know, a little bit more time than I had been playing in other situations. So, yeah. But that George, George, what you do, what you do, and what you did for the team there—if you were doing that now—it's ridiculous how much money you would be making. Uh huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. <laughs> Salaries are really skyrocketed. I was looking, I was at a game, I would relate this, as I know you guys got to go, a couple of years ago with a friend of mine, and Jeff Teague had been on the, the Hawks, and he had gone away to, I think he was in Minnesota, he came back, and mm-hmm. uh, we were just talking about salaries, and so I scrolled down the uh, Minnesota team, and I saw where he had, he had made the All-Star, I think maybe one year, uh, he, he was making $20 million. $28 million. Now, Jeff is still on that contract, if I'm not mistaken, and he's here now as a scout for the Hawks now. He's not even playing. He's still making $28 million. I That's said, incredible. if we were playing today, we would definitely have enough money for a couple of lifetimes, you know, to uh, 
enjoy life. But as it is, I'm happy with where I am. And, you know, we didn't make as much as obviously the guys are, but there was a lot more money now than there were back in those days, you know, to go around and to be shared. So it was a great life. I, I enjoyed I emphasize enough, Rick Rick would be a billionaire if he was playing by today's in today's oh, yeah. game. No doubt. Uh you play yeah. George and, and look, you played thirteen years in this game. It, that's a lot that's a great run. I mean, players don't usually play that long. Uh and I think you would definitely be making a shitload of money, pardon my French, if you're playing in today's game. Yeah. And, and may I ask, and again, just to just to uh, reiterate again, uh, there's gonna be a documentary made at some point it's gonna come out on that nineteen seventy-five uh world championship Golden State Warriors team that you both were a part of. Oh, George, what are you doing today? Like where are you at? What what's life like for you? Uh I'm retired from the I worked for the Players Association, the NBPA for 23 years and I retired about five years ago now so I'm just off of a I part of a uh, senior citizen board I sit on the board and church member I don't do anything as far as a job so I'm just kind of taking it easy I'm a grandfather of two grandkids my daughter's mm-hmm. living here uh Atlanta so I enjoy you know dealing with them and just taking it easy and of course, with the virus having me home for the last two years, I'm anxious to get out now. So <laughs> I, I, I got to get out of here, and that might include maybe doing something part time, you know, just to kind of to break things up a little bit. So nice. Well, Rick, thanks for bringing George on. I, I I really did not do enough research about you, sir, until I learned we were bringing you on. And then when I looked at your career, I was like, oh my god, this is. This is a man who played a great career. <laughs> you accomplished a lot, sir. Thank so, thank you. you. I appreciate. It. Thank yeah, you, Rick. I enjoy. Well, hopefully, hopefully, when that documentary comes out, people will learn a lot more about the guys we had on the team and and what it was that we were able to accomplish. So that'll be fun, George. Always great to talk to you. Thanks. Uh, good to see you in Atlanta thank for when we do recordings, and uh, we'll see you down the road. And hopefully, we'll get the Warriors or somebody to put on a big thing to have a the premiere of the cardiac kids sometime later this year. That'd be great. Take care. Nice meeting you, George. Take care. Thank you. That was was excellent. So, uh, yeah, George was an integral part of what we did. That two headed monster we had was very unusual because uh, as I say, Clifford Ray, you know, to go up against the Dave Cowens, the way Dave played and stuff. But then you had George in there against Chicago, you know, blocking the shots, you know, and playing against Gore when you go on Nate Thurman. But he was, he was a force. I mean, he said he hasn't watched the game. Trust me, I, I know those things inside out. I can tell you, like, I uh, he'll see the play when I made the pass to him. I mean, I remember that stuff like it was yesterday. Thank God for that. Um, great memories and uh, George was an integral part of our success so I mean I tell people I mean I think the most important person on the team was Clifford Ray but Mm -hmm. you you had to go and say what was the most important thing it was it was George and Clifford what they brought to us in the center position I mean everybody else did their stuff and had to do things but those guys were big for our defense I mean because defense was such a critical part of our success and the two of them together were awesome they were just awesome that's incredible. Rick, I got, do you want if we talk some Warriors real quick here? Just because. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so, uh, so first off, I, I got to ask you, in your opinion, how much criticism does Bob Myers and this front office deserve for, for constructing a roster that has no centers? I mean, what, what are you doing there? I, I know they're counting on Wiseman, but why not have a backup plan? At some point, you kind of should, they should have started realizing we might not have this guy this year. And they have no contingency plan. Like, I, is there... Is there blame deserved there? I mean, do you, do you not feel that way? What are your thoughts? Well, 
uh, I think that they were surprised. They had to be surprised that he wasn't able to make his way back. As I said, I mean, if, if everybody's here, I'm here. He got cartilage. I mean, how in the world can you be out? There's got to be something more. I don't know if they were not getting the right, right information or not, but I think they were all basing it on that he was going to probably wind up coming back. And so they didn't want to do something. Right knowing that he's coming back and then they got the monkey wrench thrown into it. And that's kind of screwed things up for him, but it's, it's hard to win. If you don't have a couple of big guys, I mean, you got to have yeah. somebody to protect the basket. I mean, it's one thing to play nice defense and all, but it's always nice to know that at last resort, you have somebody back there to at least challenge somebody and make them change a shot occasionally, instead of letting them come in there and have carte blanche as to what the hell they want to do near the basket. So um, yeah, that's a, that, that was a that was a miscalculation on their part. There's no question about it. They didn't pick somebody up. They could have, you know, we heard about it before the trades and stuff that there were some people out there that maybe they were going to bring in and do it, and but they did nothing, and then Wiseman mm -hmm. doesn't come back, and so now they're caught between the old proverbial rock and a hard spot. And uh, I I just don't think without him. I just don't know if that team can play well enough against the teams that are in the Western Conference. There's a lot of good teams in the Western Conference that I think will cause a lot of problems for them. Um, you know, you start playing against Utah, <laughs> and get some side. You play against, you know, who, who's going to handle Jokic? Who's going to handle the big guy? Exactly. I mean, size. Size is such an important factor. Hell, we saw that. We saw that even in the NCAA tournament, where usually it's all guard play that wins for them. I mean, hell, it was the big people that did stuff yep. for Kansas. It was Kansas big people that crushed. The, my my alma mater in that game uh yeah they you got to have some size you just you have to mm -hmm. have some size and the warriors just don't really have that they don't get a whole lot of their inside scoring and when you live and die with your outside shooting especially the three pointers that's it's a tough way to go i mean in the warriors they, they they they've they've survived and they've flourished with it but they also cost themselves a championship with it yes you're absolutely right and and I, I don't know. I, I you know, I've had, I've been having a lot of debates with people about ownership. I mean, because because I started looking at the numbers and from 2015 to 2020, they reaped over 500. And this is a low estimate over 500 million dollars in profit. And now it, the only logical excuse for for them not adding more players is to save money. And I'm, I'm hearing reports that Chase Center is costing this ownership group a lot of money in terms of repaying the loans for, for constructing this thing and buying the land to begin with, you know, and for someone like myself, I just, it's just, that's just such as I, I can't stomach an excuse like that. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, what are your thoughts on that? Like, like, do you understand Lakers and Gruber's COVID cost them just a ridiculous amount of money. I yeah. mean, the timing couldn't have been any worse for them going over to that new building and doing that. And plus just the cost of freaking everything in California and San Francisco is off the freaking charts. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah. Daryl Morey doing that tweet cost the NBA billion dollars, I think, right? Too, that didn't help me. <laughs> so, man, that was, that was crazy what's happened to the league. It cost the league a lot. It cost everybody a lot of money because that cost every team money because they right. were the kind of stuff that was brought in because that's, that was a huge market for the, uh, there's, there's more basketball fans in China than there are people in the United States. Right, exactly. You're right. It's true. They have hundreds of millions of, of basketball fans. They love basketball over there. And they got billion, over a billion people. So, yeah, it, it hurt. It, uh, but, you know, again, you got to play the cards you're dealt. They, they, they yep. had a chance to do something. They gambled and they lost. They, I think they, yeah. honestly, in their hearts, I think they believed that Wiseman was going to be back. That's what we all kept hearing. We kept hearing, we kept hearing. And then all of a sudden I just hear he's gone for the rest of the season. He's not coming back. I just wish somebody would tell me what the hell happened. 
Why? <laughs> well, I mean, well he's supposed to be more than a cartilage. He's apparently he just keeps dis experiencing discomfort in that knee, and, and that's that. You know, I read something changing gears. I I, I always love reading new things about you because I'm constant because you're always in the news. Like at, like because you've set so many records in this game that still hold up to this day. Like for example, people were talking about Jordan Poole, who now has 14 straight 20 point games. Very impressive feat, but he's not the youngest to do so for the Warriors. You are, and there's just endless things that show up all the time. And so you know, I always get curious as as the person that I am and. I didn't realize you were once a cigarette smoker. How old were you when you were smoking cigarettes? And when did you quit that? 13? Yeah. I used to smoke a pack a day. As a 13-year-old. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that clearly didn't stunt your growth, which is a good thing. Thank goodness. I, my father, my, yeah, if my father had ever caught me, would have kicked my butt. Um, but, yeah, no, it was crazy. That's because I just the people I hung out with did it. You want to be one of the guys. And then I realized shit, I can't breathe. I mean, I'm trying to go and run. And so I just stopped, you know, unfortunately I have the ability to do that kind of stuff. I make Same. my mind up. I can do it. I realize how I, can't, I can't be an athlete and play basketball and do this because I can't freaking breathe. So I just stopped back really <laughs> way, way, way back doing it. And uh, thank you. I'm with you. I was 15 when I started and, and I was a I chain smoke fan. And then one day I just quit. I realized this is a dirty habit. And I was okay. getting sore throats. And I just was like, what am I doing here? This is, I don't, I'm, I'm like getting high off it. So what's the point of this? Like, it doesn't lower your anxiety. You're right. It was, it's peer pressure. It's just fitting in. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients support gut health, your nervous system, your immune system. It gives you energy, helps you recover, it helps you focus, and it helps with aging. It's also lifestyle friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or anything artificial. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. And to make things easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens. Take ownership of your health. Here, and, and then you reference your bike accident a lot. Do you want, we've never talked about this on your show. I, I, uh, what happened there? You're, I mean, I know this was about eight years ago, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. There's six years coming up here that I had it. I was, uh, Bill Walton uh, got me into going on a bike trip from Sausalito to San Diego for the Challenge Athletes Foundation out of San Diego to raise money. Okay. That was a really humbling experience. I mean, to go and do that and be with people who couldn't move their legs and were cranking the entire way with laying down you know, those recumbent type of bikes and using their hands and arms to crank themselves. And then guys pedaling with no leg and no arm. And I mean, it just made you kind of feel how lucky you were to be able to be healthy and do that. 
And I said, well, I mean, I can't be going, you know, I said, you know, they got these things. I said, it's like, they're going a hundred miles when I'm not riding a hundred freaking miles. And so he said, nah, 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 just get yourself a good shape. He said, they have stations where you stop and they have stuff and all. If you're done, they'll take the bike and they'll drive you to the hotel and you can just, so I said, okay, it was great. And we really had, my wife and I, Lynn and I had a great time uh, doing that and really appreciate him having invited us. And then he invited us to go again. And we said, let's do it. That was really fun. And so I was going out in a training ride in Colorado Springs and going pretty fast down a little hill outside the Garden of the Gods area and went around a curve and the front tire blew out. And I was locked oh. in. I was locked in. I had the, the stuff where you were locked into the, to the pedals. And, yes. you got it, and I couldn't get my leg out. So I went out going to my left with the left side going up. And so I couldn't get my leg out. So I wasn't able. I knew if I got my legs, my feet out of the pedals, I would have, with my athleticism, I would have hit with my right leg on the ground and rolled and I might've gotten scratched up or something, whatever, but I couldn't get out. So I went up in the air, going fast, came down totally and completely landed on my right side and fractured my pelvis in six places. Oh, Jesus and, uh, Christ. Six, six and a half hour operation. Um, the worst oh part. Oh my God. Two days before I was supposed to go on my fishing trip to Alaska and I got so I was, you know, drugged up and whatever it was, I forgot to get somebody to take my place. So I wasted all that money paying for a trip to Alaska that I never went oh. on. And, uh, and, but, but that was the biggest disappointment for me was not getting to go on my fishing trip, but I knew I had done something bad when I hit. And so they got ice and they had to fly me to Denver to a special emergency hospital because there wasn't anybody who could operate on me. And, oh uh, my God. So, yeah. And I was just lucky. I had a great Dr. Patel. I thank God every night for Dr. Patel who operated on me. And the, the interesting thing is I had so many different doctors and nurses and people come in who I guess were sports fans wanted to say hello, but without, I didn't ask anything at all about Dr. Patel. Every one, every Cyrus, every single one, Rick, you could not have had a better surgeon than Dr. Patel. Everybody raved about this guy and how good he was. And I remember when he came in and I joked with him and I said, when I saw the x-rays and heard what happened and all, I said, well, who said you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again? (laughs) I have so many rods and screws in me, Cyrus. It's ridiculous. And, uh, but yeah, he, he, and then he told me, he says, well, you know, when I did it, I had to remove your muscles. I said, you had to do what? He said, do the operation. I had to remove your muscles from your pelvis, your leg muscles in order to be able to do the surgery and put all the, oh my God. And he said to me, he said, you know, Rick, you're really very fortunate. He said, because a man, your age, I was in my seventies. He said, a man, your, he said, if you had the bones of a man, your age, I could never have operated on you. And he said, you would have probably been in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Oh my God. That is. And I, and he said, your bones are like that of a 50 year old man. So I was able to go ahead and I could put the screws and the pins and everything in there and put you back together. And I said, well, thank you for that. But yeah, no, the thing is, I couldn't move my leg at all. And I was in a wheelchair for three months and uh, and couldn't put, he said, don't put any weight on your right leg for three months. And so I guarantee you, there was not one ounce of weight ever went on my right leg for three months. And then I did the rehab sure. stuff. And it was, it was some funny stuff. I mean, you go to the rehab stuff at one of the places. I'm there with a bunch, a lot of all the old people and stuff. And they're doing the rehab and they're doing, and they're throwing and everybody's sitting in their wheelchair and they're throwing a ball to one another. I called the lady over. I says, ma'am, excuse me. I said, I think I can catch and throw a ball. I need to do some serious rehab, please. I want to get well. This is not doing me any good. This is a waste of my time. And so they finally got me with some other people. And I finally started to go and start working with it. And I used to have a thing that I had to hook onto my toe to grab my leg, to 
pick it up and move it because I couldn't move it. I, I had to re, you know, I had to retrain my muscles and everything to be able to Jeez. do it. But I thank God, you know, I was very, very fortunate. I thank God every night that it wasn't worse than what it was because I can do anything I want to do now. I mean, I can, you know, I just be, I'm just very careful. I can't take a chance of taking a fall because if I fell and something happened, I probably would be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. So, oh my God. But that's life. I mean, things happen. As I said, that was a tough thing, but so many people have other things. It wasn't a life threatening thing for me. It could have been disastrous for me as as active as I am as much as I like to do things to not have had the surgeon like Dr. Patel to put me back together and not to be able to do the things like playing pickleball and doing the stuff I'm doing now and still could play golf and do whatever I need to do so very fortunate so I hope everybody out there I always say a prayer that uh, you know for people who uh, friends of mine that are off of cancer and you know then you hear about the ones that have cancer and you got to pray for them and Mm-hmm. health is such an important part of life i mean and people all i can say is don't wait till something gets really bad if you have something that's bothering you at least a little bit go find out what it is and get it taken care of right away don't wait until it gets bad and then all of a sudden you got major issues and problems yep. so you got to do that you know my mother the same way my mother didn't go in and get her child i was so mad at her because she didn't go in and get her yearly checkups if she had done that she probably never would have had a stroke and she wound up dying from two strokes and so Take care of yourself, folks. I mean, go and see the doctors, get your yearly checkups. I mean, your your health is the most important thing in life. And then, you know, your family and your friends. But without the health, how do you really enjoy life? I mean, it's just sad when you don't have the health. So I'm very blessed and very grateful for that. Meanwhile, let's pray that the health comes back to the Warriors, to Steph Curry. And the- <laughs> nice connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, seriously, because that's what it comes down to. You got to be healthy. Yep. And right now, they're going into the playoffs on a big downer. You don't want to be going into the playoffs the way they're playing. I mean, they're this is the worst that they've played and been all season long. And so there's still two weeks. Hopefully they can get themselves together, but it's going to take a minor miracle to do something. I will be very surprised if they're able to go and get past the first round. I will wow. be. I, wow. I really be. It's just... I, you know, well, say, well, Steph, the last time he was out and he came back and did this, I was reading what Steve Kerr talked about it while well, he was out and missed eight or nine. He came back and played great. Well, you can't expect that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't guarantee that when you're out that long, I mean, especially a guy as fine tuned as his stuff is, is his shot really going to be there? Is he going to be able to play? What kind of conditioning is it? What can he be doing now to keep himself so that he can go out and, and play 40 minutes if he had to and be able to play at a high level of efficiency and have the, um, I don't know, have the reserve necessary and have the, you know, the, the conditioning necessary. It's going to be very, very difficult. And then mm-hmm. we don't know if Clay is going to be able to play at the level that he's shown occasionally, but it's been a roller, big role. It's always a roller coaster ride, but in his case, being out for so long, it's kind of miraculous that he's you know been able to do some of the things he's done, but you need to have him playing at that high level. And then Draymond was out all that time and he's not back to where he was. So you have mm-hmm. your three key players from the championship that they had before KD came here three key guys and then Iggy was hurt and doing stuff as well and he's older a lot older so you have your three key guys who are nowhere near top efficiency so how can you have high expectations that the team is going to do well when you just look at the reality of it yeah it's it's much more wishful thinking for the Warriors to accomplish things you're no you're absolutely right uh and my, my the optimistic side of me is saying well if it all does come together at the right time anything could happen but and all depend upon it's, what happens and who finishes where in some of the yeah. matchups because 
it does happen. Matchups do make a big difference. A lot of times, some one team has great success against somebody that you never would expect would happen, and they just have a problem with somebody. Even though they're a better overall team and they're going to beat most of the other teams, they have a problem with one team because of matchups or whatever it may be. That happens all the time. And so who knows who that's going to be? I mean, it always seems like Denver's a team that gives the Warriors a lot of problems. And then Andrew Wiggins is not doing anything to help. Uh, I'm very disappointed in his play. Uh, I love Jordan Poole. I think he's finally stepping up. The future looks nice. But, yeah, this present iteration just, you know. Well, Rick, it's great to see you're doing doing fine. And, and the Garden of the Gods is a beautiful place, by the way. Yeah. I'm going to bring up one of the things. In the NCAA. Please. Isn't it interesting? I watched one. I was watching one of the games. I was watching the, the women's game that South Dakota was playing against, I think it was Michigan. Okay. I was kind of dumbfounded when I, when I look at some of this stuff because I look at things a little differently. They got the ball back with a chance to tie the game with a three-point shot. And I, I, I can't believe what they ran when they came in. They did nothing. I mean, how do you not have a play and for every circumstance? You should have practice and have plays for every conceivable circumstance that could exist at the end of a basketball game, regulation or overtime. Ball out of bounds, left side of the basket, ball out of bounds, right side of the basket, ball on the left sideline, ball on the right sideline. We're going to go. We need two points. Here's the play we want to run. We need three. Here's the play we're going to run. You should have plays that you've run over and over again for those specific situations so that everybody knows where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, and then take what the defense gives you. Mm -hmm. That team, they, they did nothing. I mean, they didn't even get a decent shot up. I was saying, that can't possibly, that was not even close to being any kind of a play where anything was run, where the defense had to make decisions. And this is the thing that I go crazy when I watch the games. I did something that we'll, we'll do it maybe on the next show. I just taped the game just for fun, just to see, because I made a big thing about, you know, carrying the basketball, moving screens, traveling and stuff. I'm going to go and I'm going to break this game down and I'm going to come up with how many of those happen in the game. The carry I'm not even going to do because the carrying is so absurd. Guys <laughs> are just dribbling up the floor and they're carrying the ball. Just yeah, dribbling every play. up the floor on every freaking play. I mean, the, so the carry the carries to the point of being absurd, totally absurd. But I'm gonna I'm gonna look and, and and see some of the things that go on because I remember the last time I did it with the moving screens. Fifty nine moving screens weren't called. Oh my no, 59. It was a, it was a, it was a Chicago Atlanta Hawk game a few years back. And I'm, so I'm going to do this again, just to kind of see where we are and see how many traveling violations take place just for fun, because I just wish the officials would call the game according to the rule book because yes. players, players will adjust. Players will adjust to how they're calling. If they're calling you for carrying or doing something, you're going to stop doing that. If they're yep. calling you for moving when you shouldn't be moving and they call the screen, you're going to stop moving. Yep. So Anyway, that, that's that's my big pet peeve for the, this. Uh, no, I'm with you. I'm 100 with you. And if you do that, and, and and it happens to be a Warriors game where Steph is playing, if you don't mind, also keep track of how many times opposing players are grabbing Steph when he's off the ball, because oh, that's that my one huge pet peeve is that he is just being clawed, scratched, grabbed all the time, and it's never called. And you're right, the, the moving screens are happening too, but. If you can, if you can observe that as well, I would love yeah, to hear, see that data. He's, he's not playing the game I recorded. He wasn't playing, so yeah, I'm just, yeah. just going to watch it and see just just to see just to pick the game, just put it out there, just see what comes I love up. It. Because it's just uh, something needs to be done about it because they're they're ruining the game. It's just it's too, and then here's the worst part. So all of this is happening, and then we'll come we'll come to the playoffs, and then all of a sudden they'll let the game become overtly physical. Yes. 
I mean, it's correct. All, there's a new freaking rule book. All of a sudden, two what seasons. You, what you yep. couldn't do during the regular season, you can do in the playoffs. I mean, it's just so insane to me that they allow that to happen, thinking that's good for the game. It's not, because what you're doing is giving an unfair advantage to the defense. Because as I tell people, it doesn't take talent, skill, or ability to hold, shove, grab, push, and do all that bullshit. I mean, it's just so wrong. It's just so freaking wrong that they do that. So anyway, we'll see. <laughs> Great to see you, sir. I love it. All of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get uh, Tim Legler for maybe like a playoff preview show uh, the next week or two, if that sounds good to you. Yeah, no, that'd be great if we can get him before the playoffs go in and have a yeah. better look at it because then you have an idea of a little better idea of taking a guess as to what might take place. But, you know, even like right now, who knows? <laughs> we don't know who's playing who. We don't know who's going to be healthy, who's not going to be yes. healthy. So we'll see. Oh, it's a muggle picture. Take care. Thanks for listening. And uh, hope you enjoyed hearing from George Johnson. And we'll look yeah, forward. Yeah, I, I did. I, that was a pleasure, Rick. And by the way, people need to know, if you want to follow Rick Berry on all social media platforms, it's at Rick24Berry. All the platforms, whether no matter what it is, that is his, uh, his handle. Follow him. We've got to give He's you the plug. If you want to go medicileaf.com, M-E-D-I-C-I-L-E-A-F.com. The code is 24 unbelievable cannabinoid products. I mean, check it out. I use the stuff religiously. And then if you've got something with a problem with, which I tried to help with, with Draymond and, and Clay and stuff. And anyway, that's a whole other story. But go sleeves <laughs> for calves and Achilles and knees and elbows. Unbelievable stuff with kinesio tape built into them. Super, super product. They go to GoSleeves.com and RB, small RB24 is the code for that to get a nice discount as well. I think you'll love the products. I use them all the time when I play uh, when I play pickleball and uh, it's uh, yeah, just a great product. So give it a shot and try and uh, all the best to everybody and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.